Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, starring John Wayne, James Stewart, Lee Marvin, Vera Miles, and Woody Strode. Based on The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance by Dorothy M. Johnson, screenplay by James Warner Bella and Willis Goldbeck, and directed by Mr. John Ford. Mm. Welcome to Rice Smile Films. This is a cast that's been a long time in the making. I know we talked about the serial killer cast being one we had flirted with a lot, and the Batman gave us the opportunity to finally do that, but now we kind of have some time and some space to really go back to the Old West and really take a deep dive into the Western genre, but with the twist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we're going to call this Western Four Ways, and we're going to look at what that genre looks like over four different film types. This is going to be a lot of fun, and what better film than The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, the king of the Western, so to speak, Mr. John Ford, to talk about the traditional Western. It's funny, too, because as much as this is the categorical traditional Western, this isn't the traditional Western per se with the good guy in white, the bad guy, the bad, the bad guy, the bad guy in black, and you know, shoot out in front of the church at high noon. So, well, we'll definitely talk about that. It's coming. Um, but joining us from the old west, or rather from the east, right now, that's right. we have a old a old friend who's joined us uh, multiple times on this podcast. I'd like to welcome to the show today, Mark. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Yeah, we've been wanting to have you back on and. You know, it just kind of lined up that here you are for the man who shot Liberty Valance. We missed you. It's good to have you on, Mark. Well, thank you. I'm really excited. Uh, uh, we were talking before we started recording. I, I actually didn't know this film. I'm, I'm ashamed to admit, but it's a wonderful film. I look forward to speaking about it more with you. Well, maybe we could turn more people on to it, too. I think that was kind of the consensus in my research was it's kind of gone under the radar through most of its history, actually. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Mark, it'd be great to be having a drink with you here in person. Today we're uh, going to the, what is this, two liters of whiskey? Mm. This I have a really large uh, thing here of Weller Special Reserve. This is their green label, one of our all-time favorites. Um, but Mark, you got something you're drinking on your end over there? I, I do. I happen to find myself at the moment in Stowe, Vermont, at the ski area with some friends uh, in this program I'm doing at Harvard called the Advanced Leadership Initiative, and I am drinking the Whistle Pig 12-Year Rye Whiskey, which I believe is somewhat local here to the area. So I'm, uh, I'm sorry I can't be there to drink the Weller with you in person, but I think I've got a worthy substitute. I would say. Well, cheers to you from to you. over there. Cheers to you, Matt. Cheers to you, Jesse. And let's go ahead and dive right in with our flight question. Old classic Western score, uh, but done by somebody I've never heard of before. So I thought that was quite surprising. But Mark, you know, you know how it goes here. The hosts on Rice Smile Films, they have to bring the flight and the nightcap with them. So why don't you serve us up with the flight question this week? You got it. So I wanted to know from both of you, what's your overall, you know, favorite Western movie to watch of all time? 
Um, and if you want to throw in a runner up too, um, I guess I'm trying to get permission to throw a runner up in as well. Well, I do uh, that every week, Mark. So I was going to say, you might as well put that in there. It's just, it's going to happen because Jesse sneaks two in regardless every week. Yeah. Uh, but excellent. Excellent. So taking so that's liber- the question. Yeah. Yeah. Taking Liberty balance probably off the table since we're talking about it today. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I should probably disqualify that. Let's take that. Let's amend the resolution here. Uh, <laughs> so, I'll hand it uh, up to take, you. Let's take Liberty balance off the table. And um, yeah. Favorite Western, Western of Western, all time. Guys. I'll hand it off to you first, Matt. Do you want me to just go runner-up, 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 and then favorite, 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 or no, you want me to do let's, both? Let's do that. Yeah, that'll be fun. Runner-up for me. Boy, this is tough. I gave some thought to several, uh, and there's four or five that could easily be in play on this. But the runner-up for me is going to be the Magnificent Seven. Um, I love the ensemble piece of that. Uh, of all the characters that I tend to like the most is the James Coburn character. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think probably a little underutilized and I wish they would do a prequel with just him. Um, But I think that's a magnificently directed and wickedly entertaining film Uh, that strangely is frustrating in some ways because the people that have hired the Magnificent Seven for help seem so pitiful and so unwilling to sort of want to take mm-hmm. up arms for themselves. And, but that's part of the fun of the movie is watching that, that growth. So that's my runner up. One of my favorite scores of all time by Elmer Bernstein. Great music in that. Did you like the remake? Uh, Antoine Fuqua's with Denzel and Chris Pratt? Not as much as the original, but I did like it. Yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio is really interesting in that film too. Ethan Hawk. Yeah. Ethan Hawk. That's a, yeah. Is Ethan Hawk on fire right now or what? I know. Is, right. Uh, and great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Mark? You got an honorable honorable mention for all time favorite western. Uh, yeah, and you uh, try not to shoot me for this one. No. Uh, but um, one of one of you know one of the movies I've always enjoyed, and it, you know it might be a stretch to call it a western, and you know it it, it has some insensitivities that the insensitivities that today might not fly as well, but Blazing Saddles always oh, yeah. makes me laugh. I watched that about that was my runner up. I watched that about three weeks ago. I laughed Did so really? hard. It's so funny. It's uh, you're right. Actually, it's like the, the, that's what Mel Brooks was so good at though, was poking fun at mm-hmm. those social, uh, kind of like Tropic Thunder, you yeah. know, the social inappropriateness of some jokes and things. And he just dives all in. Yeah. Brilliant film. I mean, people, t- people today still quote lines from that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it, it, that's just, Always stuck out uh, when I was young and until now as a, as a, as a, just a fun Western type film. How about some more beans, Mr. Taggart? <laughs> the comedy in that movie, exactly. I think the comedy in that might have arguably aged better yeah. in today's world than it did upon initial sure. release. Yeah. Um, I think a little levity is needed uh, and you can get past, like you said, some of the social inappropriateness and just enjoy the silliness of the yeah. joke and that, mm-hmm. that, the levity. Um, Again, Tropic Thunder being a very similar yeah. film in yeah. its format. Honorable mention exactly. for me. You'll uh, probably sneak two in here, Mark. No, so I, get I, another no, hug, no. Take another drink. <laughs> no, I won't. I just, just one for today. But okay. So noted. Yeah. I did have to pick one from Sergio Leone, but which one am I picking? Yeah. I, I'm going to go with The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Uh, just a remarkably well-made film and so well cast. So we're going to talk a little bit about Lee Van Cleef today, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, forgot he was in this one, but it's just an epic Western. It's three hours in length, searching for gold, you know, characters that don't have, you know, you know, a real kind of name, so to speak. 
and that finale, the last in the in the cemetery, there is one of the best scenes in all of film. So that's an honorable mention for me. And if that's your honorable music, mention. Right? It's iconic. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Matt. That's a solid honorable mention. Yeah. Um, I really want to know what your number one is. Now. Again, Mark said favorite, so I had to go with one that's really started, like, really growing with me. So what's your number one, Matt? Well, the movie you just mentioned was one that was in consideration, but I don't want to double up on it, so I'm going to take a little left turn here and go with another one that I'm very, very, very fond of, and that is Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. Um, just, just as good. Wow, where do we start? Uh, that's a bit more traditional. The bad in that movie are really bad. Mm-hmm. Claudia Cardinal is amazing. Um, gosh, you know, that's a sit down, get comfortable mm. watch. That's not something, that's not like a Silverado or um, something that maybe is a little Sons of Katie Elder. It's yeah. not something that's light and easy. It's, it's a pretty heavy. It's a pretty heavy, deep film with a lot of, plot machinations that I think build a really structured story. And I hope this is something that we get into a lot today regarding mythology in American popular fiction or literature. I think the Western movie genre is akin to jazz for music for American moviegoers. Um, you know, we did noir well, but we didn't create noir. We can't really lay claims to horror, but I think the West and the themes that in the West can be played out with Western traditional mythology are very, very well done in Once Upon a Time in the West. I also think you mentioned jazz. I think underappreciated, just like jazz as well, right? It's well said. It doesn't really kind of get its due. Great. It's funny. When you said jazz, Matt, my head immediately went to, so jazz is all about there's there's a structure, to the music, it's typically A, A, B, A in terms of the line. Yeah. So the A's are the same and the B's are different. Yep. And there's a lot of improvisation within those structures. And if you think about Western films, you know, there's the shootout in the center of town. There's the, the, the you know, the, the brawls in mm. the uh, saloons and, you know, and, and, and so on and so on. You get what I'm getting at. Yeah. Uh, you know, the wide open spaces and things like that. But there's, there's, there's sort of a structure to it, much like jazz, but then a lot of improvisation within those structures. And I think that's the beauty of that, right? So mm-hmm. you know you're going to get A, B, A, B in Western or jazz, but how A, B, A, B are executed and the entertainment value with it, and whether that's Cannonball Adderley mm-hmm. or whether that's Lee Van Cleef, it is where you find, I think, the true entertainment in this. And that's also makes it tricky because I don't think everyone loves the Western Yeah, for the same reason. Um, and widely, widely, like everybody doesn't love jazz. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Point, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Wide range of entry points and exit points within this genre. But yeah. So I think this cask has a lot of legs to come back to it quite a few more times. Yeah. That would be one to definitely dive into. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Mark? What is your all-time favorite Western? Um, you know, the, the, all the films that have been mentioned thus far are all worthy contenders, but the one that's always stuck with me, and it came out, in, I don't remember what year, it was in the 70s, but uh, when I was younger, um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, Rain at that drops time, keep you know, on my head. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There's just some iconic scenes. It, it's got enough of the silliness 
mm-hmm. not like Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. a, there's enough silliness, you know, uh, fun spots into that movie. And, and that was, you know, I saw it at a time, you know, when Paul Newman and, and Robert Redford pretty much own the big screen. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that movie just always st- stuck with me. Um, there, there's even, um, there's a spot outside of Durango, Colorado. And I think it's where they film that cliff scene where they jump into the river. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, cause I remember standing above and like, Oh my God, it was like being taken back to that movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, that, that movie's just always such a fun movie. Uh, that's always stuck with me. I love how it ends too, just on a freeze frame. What it poses an essential question is it's never answered. There's a question in the movie they never get to the answer of, and it's who are those guys? Yeah. We know who those guys are, but that's mm-hmm. the running gag in that film. Yeah. Right? Great <laughs> choice. Good choice, Mark. I love that one too. Great. Excellent. Well, my number one favorite Western, like I said, this is something that's grown on me throughout the years. And when I think of the West, I think of the West as violent. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of Ken Burns's documentary on the West and it was a horrible time. Like if yeah. you look at something like tombstone, uh, we did that commentary on it. Uh, it, it was just not fun. I can't imagine anyone that would have liked to have lived during this time. And you'd be looking over your shoulder every, every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if there's a film that epitom- epitomizes that the most, I got to go with Peck and Paws the wild bunch. I knew it. Uh, it's, it gets better each time I watch it. Uh, you want to talk about a revisionist Western. So taking what John Ford did and totally bastardizing that and showing a raw, gritty, violent side of the West with characters that aren't really good people, right? Nope. William Holden, Ernest Borgnine, uh, War Notes, uh, mm-hmm. Edmund, uh, oh, who's the other, <clears throat> other guy in there? Uh, Ben oh, Johnson. There you go. Ben Johnson. Uh, yeah, not good people, and they're kind of you know just on their their last their last ride here as they're being hunted down, right? And when their backs up against the wall, what are they going to do? Are they going to try and you know do one last score, one last heist? And when that all goes sour, what's left for these guys? What does the West look like for those characters? It's ending, right? It's that's the end of the Western, in my opinion, is Peck and Pa's version of the West trying to hang on to something. Uh, men without time and without place or honor. And then, you but know, you're in for a little bit. Of, go ahead, Mark. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. You know, with me not sitting with you guys there, I apologize. No, go ahead. I talk over you occasionally. Um, it's sort of the theme in, in today's movie topic, right? Mm-hmm. Or the movie we're analyzing today, right? It's sure sort is. of the, the transition of, of the West mm-hmm. or the end of the wild West or however you want to say that. Today's film might be the beginning of that, and Peck and Paws is like the stamp on that envelope. What I love about okay. your choice, Jesse, is mm-hmm. when you take an opening like you have in The Wild Bunch with those kids and the ants and the scorpion glass or scorpion, mm-hmm. and just sort of watching that happen with that sort of unbridled joy. Yep. You set a tone in that film that seems to say this is going to be really violent yeah. and there is a survival of the fittest element in play and those that are stronger are going to survive or those that are larger in mass can survive. And that's really what ends up happening at the end, right? Mm -hmm. They're just outgunned by numbers. Gatling gun takes the place of the six, the six shooter. Exactly. The trains taking the place of the horse. I did kind of a deep dive into Peckinpah a couple months ago and man, that guy shoots violence so well, whether it's the getaway with McQueen or, Take the Fred of El, uh, Alfredo Garcia, mm-hmm. um, Convoy. I mean, the, the uh, Straw Dogs especially. 
The guy knows how to shoot action and violence so well. And the last 15 minutes of The Wild Bunch is pretty remarkable. Have you ever read that piece written by Bogdanovich that's called The Night I Saved John Ford's Life? Mm-mm. I'll have to find that and send it your guys' way. Okay. It's an interesting, I think it's at a, one of the um, award circuit events, maybe the maybe the Oscars as a matter of fact, yeah. and Bogdanovich is sitting at this table with all of these big-time directors. And this is young Bogdanovich. Yeah. Maybe after last picture show. And um, he's talking about how at that point heavily into drinking John Ford was, which I think he always was, Mm -hmm. um, but really, really putting him back at this time. And there's epic stories of John Ford and John Wayne and, you know, Holden and those guys tying one on. (laughs) Um, But this, it's a really interesting read and I'll have to give it to you as it's a good, good, good story. Sounds good. Good choices, everybody. I mean, those choices themselves would make the cast, right? Yeah, yeah, they would. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank Excellent you. Excellent choices. Gentlemen. Thank you, Mark. Let's let's go ahead and dive right in. I know we're going to have a lot to talk about, but let's get to our review breakdown of The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Of course, this story not only concerns me. Old Pompey in there, Link, they were part of it. But I suppose I'm the only one who can tell it through. I read about the old Asian shinbone in the paper's files. There was no mention oh, of a tongue. You're a young man. Young man. You only know it firsthand since the railroad came through. A lot different then. A lot different before, Mr. Scott. A lot different. First time I came to shinbone, I came with stagecoach. A lot like that one right there. Well, hmm. Could be the same one. Would be the same one. Oberlin say, I think it is the same one. Oh, I declare. Oh, I declare. I just a youngster, fresh out of law school, bag full of law books, and my father's gold watch, $14.80 in cash. I had taken Horace Greeley's advice literally. Go west, young man, go west. And seek fame, fortune, adventure. Kind of what he's doing in this scene, just to, we'll go back to the beginning. He is kind of talking about the death of the West in, in a way, this rotted, cobweb-filled stagecoach that he rode in on all those mm-hmm. years ago. The fact that it's derelict, it's decrepit now. The, that West is dead. Now we're into this new era of machinery and innovation. I think you might argue that he's the harbinger of that death. Mm-hmm. Let's think about this for a minute, right? You brought it up earlier, and that's the West is wild or savage. Here's the general rule. To be able to survive in the savage West, you have to be more wicked than the forces that are opposing you. And certain things come into play. Like the very classic example of this is the rocking chair on the searchers. Mm -hmm. That rocking chair on the searchers represents mortality. The minute you're no longer able to stay on your feet and you have to sit down in the rocking chair is the minute you're accepting your own mortality and thus death is coming for you. Regarding the death of the West and taking that savage and civilizing it, That's what we're fighting against. And most of the battles in the Western genre are the origin of that. Yeah. 
lawlessness, open range feeding, the church, the town shinbone, like these places that are blisters of civilization in this unwielding vast landscape of violence and openness and essentially made the strongest survive. Yeah. If he's coming to Shinbone, he's coming to forge an identity, as he's just said in that monologue. Go West, yeah. With books. Mm-hmm. No one in Shinbone gives a damn about books. Well, we'll get to that. They can't even read. <laughs> especially, yeah, they right. They can't read, yeah. yeah. Especially law books. Yeah. That's the exact opposite of the West. Of no what law. he represents. Yeah. What do you think of that, Mark? Just kind of that 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 stagecoach kind of representing just kind of the end of how it used to be and how it's going to be going forward. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what we were just talking about. Um, I, I, it, this is sort of a transition, right? Um, it's the, I don't know if I'm using the right terminology, the, the taming of the Wild West or the gentrification of the Wild West. That's what this movie is about, and that, that transition, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I don't know how deep you want to go into this now, but you know, the fact that he's coming in on, on, on railroad instead of stagecoach now mm-hmm. and in the present day for this movie and that sort of thing. And that, that mothballed, you know, cobweb ridden stagecoach that he rode in on is, it almost looked like it was up for repair the way it was on like, um, and why some type of jack stand and, but then he opened it and it's like, no, no, it's not. It's, why are they keeping it's been it? sitting there way too long. Yeah. Yeah. Why are they keeping it? So it's like a museum relic, right? Yeah, of exactly. the old days. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought that was really interesting in this, uh, uh, in this movie. I'm sure we'll get into a lot of the other kind of social, social, political types of absolutely themes in this, in this movie as well. Let's, let's talk about one thing and maybe as we continue through the show today, we can mm-hmm. come to a consensus on this. First of all, the punctuation in this title is inaccurate. This movie shouldn't be a statement. It shouldn't be declaratory. It should be a question. So this should be a question mark at the end of this. The man who shot Liberty Valance. So the man who shot Liberty Valance, right? Or the, well, I would put the emphasis on the second word, the man, the man who, who yeah. shot Liberty Valance. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Because the way this is going to play out is, yeah, yeah, right. Or I mean, specifically towards the Western belief regarding gender. And this is kind of where I'm going to go with this, right? Okay. If you become too civilized in the West, then you are, according to this film and Western mythology, traditionally embracing the feminine. Mm -hmm. And that is simple things like having running water or adequate transportation, or I don't know, the tailor, Mm -hmm. some version of medicine. Now those are not generally feminine traits, those are civilized traits, but in the Western definition or dictionary of what civilized is, it is the effeminate. Yeah. This plays out the rest of the film with rants yeah. because there's one of three iconic images that are associated with him and he gets, of all things, the apron. Yeah. He wears that mm-hmm. damn apron the entire film to the point like it's almost laughable at some moments. Yeah done on purpose because he looks so out of place. We'll get to the other two. That's Lee Marvin's and that's uh, John Wayne's here in just a minute too. Yeah. But, 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 but he, but, but he, you know, they even have that scene, Matt and Jesse stop as we're jumping ahead where, you know, he's the first male to be serving the customers. Right. right. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. he's, 
he sort of looky looky whole, at the waitress as lee marvin would say yeah right? exactly yeah 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 exactly you know trips him and that sort of thing uh, mm-hmm. um but but he sort of embodies everything what you're saying that this sort of uh effeminate aspect of the west that that's coming right and, right but for, in order for this place to be civilized and that is inhabited by people there has to be <laughs> enough comfort in there and i mean comfort i'm using that very generally speaking to create a domestic unit which probably means like it can't be i'm gonna sleep on a cactus and maybe i'll if i can't find any beef jerky i'll I'll eat what's left of my saddle for dinner it's not conducive to the feminine Mm -hmm. and without them there then there is no civilization that occurs and let's be really frank here Mm -hmm. fellas they are the civilizing, they being the feminine mm-hmm. women, they are the civilizing agent to our cavemen. Let's just be honest about it. It's true. It is. <laughs> it is. I'll say what I have to say about yeah. Jimmy Stewart here in a second, especially when we get to Shinbone and he's kind of paying back his debts by working in the kitchen. Yeah. Because uh, I kind of came to a revelation of kind of Jimmy Stewart in general. But mm-hmm. I like the mechanisms of how this story starts. I mean, we get in late. We're right back in Shinbone. Jimmy Stewart is looking really old, a uh, little haggard uh, all those years. So is Vera Miles. And what I liked about this was this is the Vera Miles-Jimmy Stewart reunion. Because do you remember uh, she was supposed to be uh, uh, Kim Novak's part in, in Vertigo? Yeah. So here they are getting to share the screen for real this time. Yeah. Uh, and we kind of wonder what's going on here. Why is everyone so somber? Whose funeral are they here for? And then we see how much respect they're paying to the dead. And what we find out the dead is John Wayne. It's uh, Tom Donovan. Mm-hmm. And I like that we get in late and we kind of see how they're treading, the, like you put his spo- spurs on his boots, you know, how important that is for a cowboy, a man of the West. John, or a gun belt, yeah. Exactly. John Wayne specifically, right? Mm-hmm. Uh and then it turns into, let me tell you the tale of why this guy is so important and how we even got here. And you have these very eager men of the media who are like, oh, my gosh, the man who shot Liberty Valance is here and he's giving us his, his tale? we got to put this in our paper. This is going to sell like gangbusters. And what they're going to find out by the film's end is, you know, between fact and legend, right? Brett the legend. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's a great way to start your film. And I, I like that because, you know... The Western to me is always a very oratory tale, right? Someone telling you the tales of yesteryear and of the frontier and of your grandparents and their grandparents and their ancestors. It just has that oratory feel to it. And the film uses that as a mechanism for storytelling. Mark, let me ask you a question. Is mm-hmm. the is the West in this film, so I mean West as like character, is the West in this film bigger than either Tom or Rance or Liberty? And what I mean by that is if we're trying to align traditional movie roles, protagonist, antagonist, sacrificial scapegoat, as on the nose and archetypal as those might be, is the West the big protagonist in this movie? You know, I, I, I hadn't thought of it that way until you asked me this question now, but I, I think it is, right, at some level. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I was just thinking, uh, as Jesse was talking about how, you know, John Wayne's character dying and, you know, John Wayne sort of wrapping up his career as a Western hero 
you know, it sort of represents this transition of the West and, and, and this town of Shinbone being sort of a, a fictional yet metaphorical uh, example of any Western town that's going through uh, this transition of the wild West to a more gentrified, civilized West, more, uh, you know, with the, with the effeminate involved too, so that, you know, we're not sleeping on cactus and killing each other. Mm-hmm. You know, we need, we need, we need females to keep the males in check. Right. Right. Um, I, I think you're right, Matt. I mean, I, you, you know, at some level, the, the West itself or the, the Western civilization, and no, that's not the right term, uh, you know, Western cities like this or Western towns like this are sort of the character as well as represented by Shimbone. Um, uh, can I jump in here? Yeah. Cause I kind of almost want to say no, that, you know, compared to some of Ford's other Westerns that, you know, shot in Monument Valley. I'm thinking of the Surgers specifically yeah. where the landscape and the environment of the West becomes part of what's happening to the people. And I thought it was interesting that we kind of only spend time in this little town square. I mean, it's a very claustrophobic Western. For the most part, we spend so much time in that damn kitchen, the domestication. So I agree with that. The the domestication of the Western ideals is very present in this educating the town locals, feeding them, uh, creating a kind of a, a democracy, right? Uh, to me, this is a very different than what we see in even the wild bunch, the searchers high noon maybe fits this mold a little bit more. Cause it's kind of a single location. If I, if I can call it that, but um, I see it as a character, but it's like, it's a claustrophobic character, if anything. Oh, sure. Yeah. The reason I, I but posed that, but that's that... intentional, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The reason I posed that question is, I think, and I don't want to give it too much, give the twist away too early in the show, but there's a huge twist in this film. And in fact, the title of the film per screen time, you might even say is a lie. Sure. Because this isn't really a movie about the man who shot Liberty Valance. No. We'll, again, we'll get to that. If what we talked about a few minutes ago is accurate, and that is the closing of the West is brought on by the savage succumbing to the civilized and Rance being the embodiment of the civilized with his law books and not afraid to wear an apron and Sherman can do dishes and serve food and all of these pretty, by normal standards today, roles that we all embrace. We do them already. Yeah. Yeah. The West is, I think, the only character of the four, Rance, Liberty, and Tom, that gets a semi-positive ending at the end of this film. Yep. And so the reason that I was sort of playing with this idea of chief (laughs) protagonist is this environment is in the West, most of the time, the good guy wins. And even when the good guy loses, like let's say the Cowboys... John Wayne getting killed by long hair. Mm -hmm. He still ultimately wins in the end because his goal, which is to grow these boys up into from cowboys to cowmen, is is realized. Mm -hmm. The West isn't entirely closed by the time this film fades to black. It's still rather raw and it still has a final say. And I just... I'm just doubling down on the idea that if you're looking for who gets happy and fair shake, this is not the movie for you. Oh no. It, unless 
you can really throw your arms around the idea of the West and the and the roles that the West represents. But I don't even know if this is interesting to talk about, if that's even concrete, because they're talking about creating statehood. Yep. That's closing the borders of the yeah. West, right? I mean... Yeah, do do we think this is Texas? I don't know where we're at. Does it feel like Texas to you guys? Well, the fact that in two days you can get to Washington, so I yeah. was trying to figure out where that was. Yeah, where that would be, yeah. Kansas? It's always... 25 miles an hour. Oh, my <laughs> God, I would die. <laughs> Can I tell you, this is totally off subject. Go fast 25 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Jesus, die. I got to ride my bike that fast. Yeah. It's hilarious. Um, yeah, so it's always felt like Texas to me, but per travel time, that maybe is debatable. Sure. If it is Texas, let's just say mm-hmm. if it's Texas, and we take Texas in 2022... I think there is still, in real life, not in film, in real life, there is a small thread of the West still surviving there. And I don't mean fancy cowboy boots totally. and a nice hat. but Oh, it's so rural. I mean, there's a difference between Dallas and Seattle, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so the whole independence, uh, you know, Texas wasn't one of the few states that threatened secession from the Union. Yeah over the years and um, um, pardon my lack of knowledge of American history. I don't remember exactly when I was, but um, yeah, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, I mean, just in the, uh, this is not a political podcast, so let's not go there, but even in today's politics, you can see some right. of those struggles in trans of transition in Texas. Final point on this, and we'll get back to the story. Yeah. If, if then we do believe that the West is not a genre for everybody, this might be at the core of why that is. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this. Like I have found in the 20 years that I taught film that the Western genre tends to be more liked by my male students than my female students. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to say it. Part of that acceptance is the idea that the West and the openness and the savage can be a fun place to exist. Yeah. <laughs> if you in that with the grain of salt, sure, right? Yeah. As long as you're not at gunpoint or yeah. having to sleep on a cactus and all of those other sunburn aside. Yeah. <laughs> that might be the jumping off point, and that might be why this genre is it? so vastly under or over or lack of appreciated, depending upon the viewer, because I think yeah. the brown, just the color brown, if that's West. Yeah is so off-putting yeah. to many people. Compare the brown West to anything that involves the Transformers. Oh, yeah. And as much as the color or the aesthetic on the big screen is different, there's also, I think, an underlying theme, which is that looks dry, hot, and boring, mm-hmm. and I don't want any part of it. I don't want to see that movie because I don't want to live in that environment. Yeah, I don't want to live with robots that are trying to shoot me either. Yeah. I don't want to live in that movie because it's Michael Bay. So okay. Oh, did that. Ching. All right. Cha-ching. Uh, shot fired from Jesse. All right, let's move on. Well, let's talk about the big moment in this film. There I say it, the inciting incident of, of the movie, which is here we have Ransom uh, going west, as he was told in all his books and travels and everything, and he's ambushed by some bandits, right? And it's Lee Marvin. This is, yeah, this is Liberty Balance. And, you know, what we have here is this kind of hold up at gunpoint. They're going to take his money. They're going to take everyone's jewels. And 
Uh, this is, a, I, I would imagine, a very traumatic experience if this happened to you just your first time out in the West. And the way he gets beaten and assaulted by Lee Marvin, especially this this bullwhip. Uh, Mark, I want I want to hear from you. What what did you think of this kind of sequence and this kind of turn of events? Uh, well, you know, it, 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 as you said, you know, this is the this kind of sets up the storyline, right? Uh, mm-hmm. This whole this whole sequence. I had to laugh at first. Um, just with the, the, the disguises, you know, that standard handkerchief around the face. Because so, somehow, you, know, you can tell it's Lee Marvin. <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't know why. It mm-hmm. just like, stands out. But what, what I was particularly taken aback was this was really violent. Mm-hmm. Um, at least for me. Uh, you know, it's not that we, you know, just, uh, you know, robbed them and threw them on the ground a little bit. It's like Lee Marvin was making, uh, Lee Marvin's character, uh, Liberty Balance, was making a point of you and your laws are not going to change the West. The West is run by people who are evil like me. Or there is there and is no we, law in the West. Well, there is no law in the West, right? You yeah. know, the, the law is people like me. I think that's better said. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you for that correction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then the whole scene where, I mean, it's like some of the horror genre that you and I, that we've, we've all talked about that you guys have done in more depth uh, with other movies. Of, mm-hmm. You don't have to see the violence to understand what's happening, how gruesome it is. Yeah. Like, there's no blood spattering, but just the, 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 the um, you know, uh, the, the strength with which Lee Marvin was wielding that, whatever that is, that whip thing, um, which it, I mean, it was, it was horrific. I guess I forgot. I, I guess <laughs> yeah. I guess I forgot too. I mean, when the caboose or the carriage leaves and Jimmy Stewart's there, already busted up pretty good, and then Marvin goes and whips him like three or four more times. That's pretty rough. It's just, and it's all implied. I mean, you're not seeing it, but just the beating he's taking here. Just and then the implement, right? I'll let you go there. <laughs> all right, so let me go there because yes. I was second of the three icons. Yes, if we're gonna play out. The reason that Elder Rance hasn't put on the apron yet, it's coming in a matter of moments. If we're going to play the second of the three icons out to that same belief, which is that whip, which let's be honest, is a phallus, then that scene is bordering on domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Rance is the civilizing agent as the rules we've set up earlier would apply. That means he's the effeminate of the three. And this is liberty exercise, exercising his dominance male, yeah. over over this over this woman by mm. beating the yep. shit out of him yep. with his dick. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, and, and a few minutes yeah, later, right, he's literally. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a laughable moment now, well, but he literally takes it and flops it on the table. Yeah, in the when they're voting for the delegates, he's like, "This is what I got." <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, this is what I'm bringing to the party. What do you got, Mister Apron? <laughs> <laughs> right? You're you well, know yeah, you're, and, and Matt, you're right. Sorry, just I was going to make a quick comment, Matt. To your point, it, it, aren't images of law historically shown as effeminate statues? Yes. Um, yes. I, I can't quote it, but just as an image I have in my head. But Lady you, Justice I mean, is blind, is, Mark. Yeah. Lady, lady, yeah, Lady. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. That's uh, that's a, that's a very good description. And at this point, John Ford's had a few runs with the West. He knows what to do and he knows how to make bad guys really bad. And the chosen weapon for him has always been the six shooter. Yeah. Yeah. Liberty Valance, with the exception of the kind of showdown we get at the end of the film, 
defers over and over and over again to this whip. Yeah. When he holds up this stagecoach, like what a strange holdup, guys. I mean, of all the <laughs> things really, to use, yeah. like I'm going to bring my katana. What? Yeah. How about a gun? No, I'm using this whip. <laughs> yeah. It's John it, it, Ford. It's very unique, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And John Ford has it figured out at this time with what roles I want these three characters to play. The hyper-masculine in Liberty, the hyper-effeminate in Rance, and where does that leave Tom? We'll get to it. Well, let's talk about him. We have The, the last thing we haven't talked about, something I wish was in this film that's not there is like, I wish there was a scene of John Wayne finding the body and then loading it up as they go to Shinbone. When we first see John Wayne, it's just them with this carriage with him on it as they're coming. I wish they, he would have found it, but whatever. I, I, I do too, Jesse, but it's already a two hour flick. Right? You're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really grasping at straws here, but let's talk about John Wayne. We haven't talked about John Wayne at all on this podcast. This is his first appearance, the symbol of the Western, uh, the macho cowboy, but specifically in these John Ford films that I find him in, he's a man out of place, right? Yeah. I mean, he's the factor that always doesn't belong where his other characters are existing. And I like that about him and he plays it so well. Mm -hmm. And his, his voice, his voice is just so here you go. Pilgrim. I think this was the Pilgrim. first film where he started <laughs> using that like term and in the searchers, but that'll be the day. Yep. There's something so welcoming about that. Right. Mm -hmm. And as he's kind of what I want to, John Wayne's the sheriff of Shinbone, even though there's a sheriff already there, right? In in, in title, I suppose. Exactly, and right? By males, yeah. Because yeah. Link isn't a sheriff. Link, Link Appleyard. My favorite character, maybe. He's hilarious. <laughs> Andy Devine. Oh, I love him. Completely ineffectual as a sheriff, right? Uh, <laughs> but it seems like John Wayne runs authority in this town, right? Yeah, he's the strong well, arm. He's the counterbalance to, uh, uh, you know, otherwise Liberty Valance would run rampant if yeah. there wasn't John Wayne's character, right? Tom Donovan. Yeah. He's just the guy that seems to balance. He's the one that seems to, to bring it all together. What, what, what did you say his name was? The, the man with the silver knobbed whip. Mm -hmm. I said, Liberty Valance. <gasps> but if that's what you got to do, you better start packing a handgun. A gun. I, I don't want a gun. I don't want a gun. I don't want to kill him. I want to put him in jail. Oh. Well, I know those law books mean a lot to you, but not out here. Out here, a man settles his own problems. No, but do you, do you know what you're saying to me? You know, you're, you're saying just exactly what Liberty Valance said. Kind of a community have I come to. You all seem to know about this fellow Liberty Valance. He's a no good gun packing, murdering thief. But the only advice you can give to me is to carry a gun. Well, I'm a lawyer. Ransom Stoddard, attorney at law. And the law is the only, the only. Can I do my Jimmy Stewart thing here? Here it goes. So. Apart from totally. Rope, the films that we've covered with him, Vertigo, uh, Rear Window, and now this one, he's playing the same, like... It's a Wonderful Life. Lack of... Oh, yeah. With, um, 
that one's an exception, I it's guess. It's Kevin Costner, yeah. It's the same same character, different. The lack to grab masculinity character, right? Yeah. He's trying to compensate yeah. for something, whether it's vertigo or broken legs. We went on a whole rant on impotence in that film. Yep. But he's playing like the same thing. And I always thought that was interesting that Jimmy Stewart be willing to go there and kind of play these weak, weakling characters that have a really good arc at the end of the day. When this was a guy that enlisted in World War II and killed a lot of people yeah. who was every bit as macho as anyone ever was. I mean, John Ford, like to, he, we'll talk about the behind the scenes of this film a little bit later, but he ribbed John Wayne pretty good on behind the scenes here saying, yeah. Jimmy Stewart risked his life while you got rich during the war. You know what I mean? Why is that? What 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 does that that do for for Jimmy? Again, one of my favorite actors. I just think that's an interesting thing for him to to go into. It's such a perfect casting, Jesse. Mm-hmm. And I know that this is the number one on your favorite actor list of mm-hmm. all time. The it, strength of Stewart. Him and Kurt Russell. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The strength of Stewart. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think comes from his ability to be man enough mm-hmm. to embrace the woman inside him. Sure. Yeah. And if you think about this film, that's his entire character arc. Mm -hmm. He's strong enough and comfortable enough in his own skin to put on an apron and serve the food and do the dishes Mm -hmm. and try to say, I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to gun this guy down. I'm going to put him in jail. That's very young and Matt. Right. Yeah. Well, good, Mark. Perfect. So animus and anima, yeah, the balance that he has in that character. Do we agree then that like, it might be the most perfect casting that we've talked about in some time on this show. Absolutely. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. It's just the way he talks about things and describes things. I mean, here he wants to solve the world's problems with law books and not guns. So if that's his effect on the screen in this film, that's also Rance's strength. If you will, he's strong enough to be vulnerable mm-hmm. enough to put on that apron and try to fight things in a traditional role reserved for women in the West, which is either school marm or whore. Those are the two roles most women get in the Western yeah, movie. Yeah. Right? Right. And he's going to take on the role of school teacher. And if you want to take it one step further, this is a bit of a stretch, but not really. And I do think John Ford had his fingers on this as well the way he is introduced to Liberty is semi-sexual with the whipping of that silver knobbed whip that he just said. That's as close as John Ford in 1961 can get to saying, like, he pulled his penis out and smacked me around with, right? It's as close as he can come to that Mm -hmm. without actually saying it. Because in a Western movie, people would be like, what in the hell am I watching in 1961? What's going on here? Yeah. Uh, Matt, Matt, I got a question for you. Does that make him stronger than the one-sided evil character of Liberty Valance? I think it does, but it's a really, and it gets, again, I'm hinting all around the end of this film. We'll get there, yeah. It's also what makes that character so tragic at the end. I would argue he gets the worst outcome of anyone in this film. Sure. And it all has to do with that last final look on the train. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty good. But yeah, Mark, I do, yeah. Don't you, do you think, do you agree with that, Mark? Yeah, totally, totally. One thing. Um, one th- it, it, go ahead, Mark. I was just going to ask you guys a question, and, nope. and 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 we can skip it if we're going to go off track here. But the name Liberty Valance. 
right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that the evil character, uh, liberty, and I think balance means like a covering or a curtain, you know, something that, I, I, mean, I started thinking more about that while you were talking now. Um, what, what do you guys make of that? Well, he's the antithesis of what stands in the way of their statehood, right? I mean, until Liberty Valance is disposed of, and there's that great scene, we'll get to it later, when they're delegating the votes, and he gets two votes. <laughs> uh, until that problem's disposed of, this place, Shinbone, Texas, uh, Missouri, wherever we're at, can exist as a legitimate state until this problem is solved. So I love that his name is kind of the antithesis of Liberty, right? Well said, yeah, yeah. And are you truly free as a territory, or are you free as a state with the full backing of the federal government? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Yeah, later. What you know? What what really does liberty mean? Yeah. Anyway, one thing that I found myself liking about just I guess John Ford's films in general is so once we settle into this kitchen quasi restaurant sequence, I think I really like these behind-the-scenes aspects in John Ford's films, the homeliness, the coziness of what the West represents, which is a good home-cooked meal, uh, sitting around a table, you can smoke your cigar, you can spit in your spittoon, you can have a glass of whiskey, maybe some Weller Special Reserve, uh, but there's just something so domesticated and cozy about it that I really like it, and it's those moments in The Searchers, Matt, where like where they're like preparing for the wedding, in the middle of this search for a human being yeah. that I really like. Like those are parts I would love to be a part of And this kitchen. And they're, man, they're serving up some 72 ounce steaks here. Are they not left and right with some homemade apple pie? Like, Oh my God, <laughs> I would love to eat this meal in this restaurant yeah. with a glass of beer or a side of whiskey. And John Ford's really good at that, right? Mm-hmm. Like this, he spends a good time showing like the preparation of the food and, and I'll play this real quick. Can I have just one more steak? One steak on the cuff. <laughs> and what is this steak tab? Like 30 tabs deep, right? Who asked for yeah, another 72-ounce steak? <laughs> oh, Link Appleyard does. Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, Porterhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He's, going, he's, he's going to the, the, the big Texan, right? To, <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, I, my God. I yeah. love it. I love it so much. It's just, I want, I want every part of that, and that's just... Ford's making it cozy for us, right? I mean, yeah. he's like making it homely for us, but then he's going to make it unhomely for us because Liberty Valance is coming for his stake here. And man, does he just make a kind of a mess of this sequence? But this is kind of a big moment, right? This is Jimmy Stewart coming out with the apron. You mentioned it earlier. John Wayne confronting Liberty Valance, and he wants him. You pick up my steak, damn it! And you, I want you to do it, mm-hmm. not your cronies. I want you to do it. And then what Stewart does? What do you guys think of this moment? Because I don't think it's the midpoint, but this is kind of a good turning point in the movie here, where we're really inciting conflict and what it's going to mean down the road. Go ahead, Mark. Well, I, I mean. There's a number of different interpretations, I suppose, but I kind of, the way I saw it um, was, you know, Jimmy Stewart was not going to let violence be the solution. And, you know, he was going to, he was going to pick up the steak himself, right? (laughs) Before the two of those shoot each other over a steak, Mm -hmm. you know, he's going to represent the law, this domesticating, civilizing aspect of the West and, and just pick up the steak and, and kind of, you know, resolve the situation, at least in that particular instance. 
I love the geography and the scene because they're in a triangle. And as mm-hmm. silly as this shootout is that's about to occur over a stake that's been dropped on the floor, the reason that Tom can't pick it up is the reason that Shinbone is even in existence mm-hmm. as the only opposition to liberty. The fact that he won't pick up the stake and stand up to him is what kept liberty from running amok and just turning this place inside out, if it even existed at all. Exactly. So as much as, you know, we look at Stuart Rance and say, well, he's right. So you guys are really going to shoot each other over a stake that fell on the floor. There's a necessity from Tom to not bend over and take it up because then it, to pick it up because then it shows a weaker position and Liberty, you Mm -hmm. give him one crack and he kicks open that door and busts in guns blazing all of his hyper masculinity. So the only way that John Wayne or Tom Donovan's character or Shinbone knows how to survive is by out hyper masculining him. I said, you Liberty, you pick it up. Everybody in this country killed crazy? Here! You just can't let it go. It's so good. Yeah. Show's yeah. over for now. Try it, Liberty. Try. Just try it. So my take real quick is when Stuart comes out with the tray of food and his apron, I, like, I almost cringe at how awkward it is, right? Mm-hmm. Like the he's going to have to <laughs> look Liberty Balance in the eye in this state, right? Yeah. And then he trips him. They spill all the food. That's a mess. Uh, but then you see how John Wayne's able to command the scene, right? He doesn't lift his finger off of the hilt of his gun. and he, He's in total control of this whole thing. And the disrespect of just throwing coins at mm-hmm. your enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really like it, but it's going to really set us off on a lot of conflict going forward. So before we get to the titular moment, which is the shooting of Liberty Valance, let's talk about there's... I think four crucial scenes that take place in between this. And I want all of your, your takes on, on this. The first one being this school scene. So Stewart's come in with the law books. He's bringing education to the frontier. Um, but then when John Wayne, the West comes back in, it's, we stop with the education. What do you kind of think of that? Just kind of, it's about five or 10 minutes, actually. What do you think of the, what do you guys think of that moment? Go ahead, Mark. Okay. So I guess my thought is, you know, education, learning to read and write is, is represents freedom, right? Can, can you be truly free if you can't, if you're illiterate, um, you know, if Hallie's, you know, slaving in the kitchen and subjecting herself to these unruly cowboys every night at dinner, um, you, you, you know, she, she may feel free out in the wild west because she's far away from Washington, but she's not truly free without an education. And I felt like that's, that's sort of what's going on here is, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart's character, uh, Rand Stoddard is, is bringing, is bringing, you know, a sense of, of, of liberty, if you will, and freedom, uh, to the West. Well, the Halley character becomes the embodiment of, 
the West. Mm-hmm. And as the territory of the West is in play here, so is Halley. If Rance is able to... You're going to go through a transition too, right? Yeah. Right. Well, certainly learning how to read. And if we're going to play in what you said, Mark, which I think is really good, and that's the freedom that that literacy would offer you, that's one way out. And Rance gives that to her. But Tom also has his way of giving her, I don't know if I would say freedom, but a way out of this semi-miserable existence. Well, it's this attachment to his house, right? Oh, I can't wait to talk about it. Okay, coming up. So Hallie is essentially to Rance and Tom an attainable piece of property that each one of them is trying to annex from the other. And <laughs> in lay terms and not the West, it's called a love triangle. And, and then go ahead. My take on it is, I mean, Stuart or Ransom is literally breaking down the foundations of the traditional West by educating the people in it. Because once you have education, what that's going to open up for all these people, it's not savage anymore, right? Right. There's rationality. There's, you don't run into every conflict with a six shooter. You run into it with law and order, which is what he's trying to establish. And once that takes over, then there's statehood. Then there's democracy. Then there's a foundation. And then the West is kind of gone then, right? Exactly. Hallie Shinbone, guys. Yeah. Hallie is shinbone insofar as if she learns how to read, then she has a more equal footing with the men, specifically Rance, that knows how to read. But going along with that also gives her the responsibility of being able to fend for herself to a degree when you compare that to the life that Tom is offering her. If she goes with Tom, she will be protected at his side because he's more masculine or more savage than Liberty is. Now, he's not as violent, and that's the difference that makes him a good guy and a bad guy, where Liberty would you know, whip you to death. Tom won't. But it's a tough position for Hallie. That is, if she goes with Rance, she's going to be equal. And there's the thing with the democracy and the statehood that you're talking about, Jesse. But won't Rance take her out of the West, too? It, she, he does. Yeah. If she stays with yeah. Tom, she's stuck in a life at Shinbone, but it's probably, let's be honest, safer in that savage environment. And that's a tough. Safer, but less opportunity. Right. Are yeah. you going to yeah. Apron Man with more opportunity? But that also means sure. you have more responsibilities because she has to, mm-hmm. in that, in that equal, yeah, that's and, fair. Yeah. she has to fend for herself or with mm-hmm. Tom. Yeah who's going to take care of her. It's, it's quite the love triangle. It's a, <laughs> it really is. It's yeah, but, one but, of, but, go ahead, Mark. Sorry. Yeah. I was, um, didn't mean to interrupt your train of thought there, but for me, Tom's character, although he's not evil, like, like Liberty balance, uh, he is very controlling, right? He's, mm-hmm. he's very, very dominant male, sure. traditional, you know, to the point you made about balance and, and, and fairness and equity with, with, with rant versus, you know, she's going to be under Tom's thumb, right? <laughs> exactly. That's the issue with statehood, though, in Shinbone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You'll have balance and you'll have equity, but you're under the thumb of a larger governmental structure. She is Shinbone, you guys. And it's the battle of That's interesting. law and democracy represented by stance, represented by rants, played out in the metaphor of Halley versus the Wild West, and it may be rougher, but at least you're really, really on your own. 
with Tom. Okay, guys. Next sequence. Uh, Tom taking Ransom up to his ranch to teach him how to shoot a gun. Mm. Not only do we get a look at Tom's ranch, which Donna Finn, I thought it was Donna Vin. Yeah, Donna Finn. Uh, Donna Finn. But he's building an attachment to his house for Hallie. He hasn't even locked her down yet, so the ball's on this guy, right? Uh, but then the disrespect he paid, and this is interesting, they're two characters interacting together. The respect and the disrespect that they're both showing each other, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that he's going to, willing to take him and just, sh- I'm going to teach you how to shoot a gun, because the only way to deal with Liberty Valance, you got to kill him. Let's see how you can do it. But then when he shoots and blows paint, paint. all over him, disrespectful, right? Oh, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, yeah. Humiliating, yeah. Letting him know there's one person that is the alpha here in Shinbone. That is in charge here. <laughs> I want to ask you guys a question, and then we'll get back to real quick to what you just brought up, Jesse. When we had the diner scene that we just spoke about, and Jesse, you played that sound, do you all, the way Tom is dressed, get the impression that Tom is coming that night to officially begin the courting process Ooh, of Hallie? Maybe. And once again... Rants and Liberty get in the way because sure. I have always thought I that so. I, I think, think he shows up with flowers if I'm not mistaken a cactus rose that night yeah does he pl- not she plants it in the back he shows up with yeah. flowers with his best bolo tie on ready to make things make magic happen between him and Hallie yeah and what the hell happens Rance is in the Stakes way Snakes flying all over the place yeah and that's the third icon my friends mm-hmm. is the cactus rose yeah what a strange icon to give Tom Donovan well it fits him right it's rough it's Pretty but rough. Pretty but rough. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Third sequence. Let's talk about this nominating the delegate, the delegates. So Ransom is full head, uh, head fast into creating statehood for all of these uh, people of Shinbone. But who's going to represent that? Who's going to advocate for that? So we got to nominate somebody. And it turns into a bit of a circus. You sad buses are a brave bunch when you're together. But don't vote anyway now, that you'll regret later when you're alone. All those in favor of Ransom Stoddard as delegate, raise your hands. Struther Martin. All those in favor of Liberty Valance, raise your hands. With his whip in his hand, right? Yep. Yep. All those in favor of Dutton Peabody, raise your hand. The bar is closed. According to Mr. Stoddard, the bar is closed. Anything further on the election? No, legally the election's finished. Then the bar is open. So good. Can I say one thing real quick before we get into this? Yeah. One of the things that's lost with the titans of screen that are on this, Marvin, uh, Wayne, and, and Stuart, and Miles, is how good... Edmund O'Brien is in the two or three scenes that he gets. That Dutton S. Peabody character He's is awesome. I'll argue that in his minimal presence a little bad. bit later, John Carradine is this guy delivering this oh, it was fantastic. nomination of this other guy is just as good. So yep. great supporting cast. And we haven't even talked about Woody is Strode yet. Cassius Starbuckle, I think. Yeah. yeah. What a name. Major Cassius Starbuckle. Yeah. 
Yeah, Woody Schroeder even got so to. Kind of, what do you guys? Yeah, what do you think? I it, mean, when we go vote now, I mean, we go stand in line and we go uh, uh, circle in our our selections. Can you imagine doing this? Yeah, this is insanity. <laughs> but like, it's got to start somewhere, right? It's efficient and it's a foundation, right? Yeah, it's admirable. It's I mean, the, it's the beginning of the electoral college, right? Yes. You're you're nominating your two representatives to go vote on your behalf. At uh, wherever capital city, yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's creating more problems, right? With uh, Liberty Valance, it's just the spur that keeps digging in deeper and deeper. The fourth scene, and then we'll get to the moment. Well, hold up, real quick, before you do this, don't forget. Yeah, yeah. I know that Donovan represents the democratic process and and champions its cause, but do we? Uh, do you guys agree with this statement? He is only a little more willing to go this route of statehood than Liberty Valance is, because I would argue neither one of those guys really has a place in a statehood officially part of the union movement in Shinbone. Well, he turns down his nomination because I don't think he wants it either. Mark, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. I mean, they, they sort of allude to the fact that he's in the horse trading business. Yeah. Um, not that, not that people don't trade horses today, but it seems like he's probably more aligned with these cattle, cattle ranchers, whatever they call them that, uh, that run the territory, um, at, at least just politically than, than he is with, with, uh, Shinbone and where it's going. Um, well, it's also, it's yeah, also yeah. why, uh, he can't enter in the threshold of the house and the searchers, right? Ethan Edwards can't sit down. He'll die. We'll do that movie one of these days because yeah. that's a huge discussion. But it's the same idea, right? Mm-hmm. It's if I go do that, I lose this, and I like this, and I like where I'm at. Yeah, once he, cap- he represents the older West, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he's a, a good guy in the old West, but he still represents the old West, right? Once the cowboy becomes yeah, we- civilized, he's no longer needed, and that leaves you with nowhere to go. Thus, it's an, an endangered species desperately trying to hang on to some existence. It's the wild bunch also, which you brought up earlier, Jesse. This fourth sequence before the shooting of Liberty Valance, the assault of Peabody at his printing shop. Mm -hmm. In terms of violence, this is just as bad as Ransom's assault earlier on in the film. To the point where I thought he was dead, and I couldn't remember. Arguably worse, right? I couldn't remember. I thought he was dead, actually, until he showed up later at the delegations. Yeah. But, you mean, Peabody's a source of the press, freedom of speech, and a slight, you know, champion of education in Ransom's Corner. Assaulting that in his place, and then Lee Van Cleef and his people just run amok in that place and then beat him to death again with the whip. Uh, I think it's pretty poignant, right? This is where it takes place, how it happens and how violent it is in black and white uh, photography. What do you guys think of this moment here? Run with it, Mark. Well, sorry, my head went, my, my head when I saw the scene and when you just recounted it now, Jesse goes to, you know, essentially the dictator of the area squashing free speech. You know, we thought we killed him, but damn near killing the press man and destroying the only way to get the word out, right? Uh, the printing press and everything around it. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that's, 
you know, arguably taking place now politically, you know, with the whole Russian invasion of the Ukraine, right? You know, it's the same type of sort of e- evil squashing the human rights of others. Um, well, it just also, I think, represents a barrier, right? I mean, destroying where they're making this newspaper, and then when he leaves, he shoots out Ransom's little sign of law, uh, attorney at law. Which was it, predicted earlier in the film, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's going to shoot it out. <laughs> in order for them to get where they want to go, they have to go through Liberty Valance, right? I mean, this is a formidable right. opponent. And how scared is everybody at Liberty Valance when they're playing poker? And he's calling everybody out and every the, the sheriff, all the pieces of authority, just like they're like shaking in their boots at him, right? Mm-hmm. A good villain. I mean, Lee Marvin's pretty great in this film. Okay, so mm-hmm. since you just set that up, I'm going to go with this now. Okay. If the title of this film is The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, <laughs> yeah. then the movie is starting to move to the story of the man who shot Liberty Valance. Right, yeah. As much as Liberty Valance is the obstacle that they have to go through, the conquering agent that's able to go through that obstacle is Tom Donovan. The problem with Tom Donovan is he can't get past Rance Stoddard. So Rance is no match for Liberty. Liberty is no match for Tom. And Tom is no match for Rance. Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> they kind of all need each other, right? They all need each other. Mm. Add one more layer to this, which is between Rance and Tom, mm-hmm. is the Halley yep. love triangle. That's yeah. so layered. It's It's... It's really well put together, the, all these just moving pieces. So in a movie that is as iconic as boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back, or any sports movie that comes down to the last play on the final second, where even if they lose, they still win because they found each other in humanity or something like that, yeah. or overcame some social ill. Even Teen Wolf's uh, last yeah. free throw that goes... <laughs> right, buries that free throw. Yeah. <laughs> Teen Wolf just made it on the Liberty Valance podcast. Turn off your mic, Jesse. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I don't know. I, that was great. I'm like, I didn't think of that. We are talking about a really layered, mm-hmm. cerebral mm-hmm. look at characters yeah. in this movie. And back to what you said at the very beginning, I think Mark or Jesse or maybe both of you, how sleepily this movie has been recognized over the years yeah. is yeah. a crime. Because you can take this movie and you can have the fun with it that the West should offer and like high noon, okay, corral shootout deal. Yeah. But then if you dig, and we talk about this all the time, right? This is why I love films like this. You want to dig in there and think around with it. It gets even better. So we get to the moment, right? Here it comes. So Ransom's, (laughs) I need to go take care of this problem in his apron, right? (laughs) With his... Um, you think it would be like a pearl inlaid little twenty-two handgun. Nothing. And nothing a pop gun. Yeah, it's a cap pistol. Uh Ransom or uh Liberty Valance coming out all in his drunken stupor. This is in his drunken stupor, he could kill him, right? Easy. And when it comes down to it, I mean, he's got like a second, he's like, now the next one's gonna go through your eyes. But then there's the gunshot and Liberty goes down, right? Yep. And all the people come out of the, the tavern or the, the saloon and, oh, my God, he's dead. He's finally dead. And what do we do about that? Well, we load him up the same way that Ransom came in, right, on a cart. And we load him out, dead man. And 
He's a hero, right? Mm-hmm. Ransom, ki- the man who shot Liberty Valance. In the apron. Yep. And then as Halley <laughs> confronts him, John Wayne's like, oh, I'm sorry I missed it. It looks like you handled yourself pretty well. I'll be around. Ooh. <laughs> and then goes home and downs a fifth of whiskey and sets Halley's house on fire. He's lost her at this point, right? He's lost the battle. He's lost the girl to the guy. But... To John Wayne's credit and his performance, I'm going to play this clip and I want you guys to sound off and then what happens after this. Uh, This is kind of out of character for him. Uh, uh, Drunken John Wayne? Now look, Pompey, you know I... Who says he can? Pour yourself a drink, Pompey. You know I don't drink no drams, Mr. Tom. I said take a drink. No, sir. We got a mare in full and horses to feed in water. Come on home. Home. Home, sweet home. You're right, Pompey. We got plenty to do at home. Oh, what are they paying you guys for? Play! Be married! How come the image we get of John Wayne, my first time flying out to California, we flew into John Wayne Airport right outside of Burbank, California. Much easier than LAX. It's a smaller airport, so absolutely. uh, Cowboy, rough, tough, masculine. How come John Ford always defeats John Wayne in the Westerns he's in? This is a broken man at the end of his drunken stupor who we're going to find out in a second what he did, but trying to accept what is now his reality. That's brutal. Like this kind of portrayal. What do you guys think of this? I, you want me to go, Matt? Yeah. So um, this shocked me. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Like, whoa, okay, this is the, the you know, uh, not to... Uh, not to get too Jungian in this analysis because uh, we went with the anima and animus earlier and Jimmy Stewart, but um, you know, the, 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 the protagonist that's good, that represents good versus evil here, John Wayne's character. Um, he's got a shadow side. He's got a dark side to him. He's got a self, self-destructive side. Once he realized that his life was quote unquote over. And that was really shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess metaphorically sort of representing kind of also the transition of the character West, whether or not we wanted to be a character, you know, in the civilization. But yeah, that was, that was, that was a hard scene to watch because, you know, John Wayne has such a reputation, right. Mm -hmm. In all of his movies and characters and to see him kind of go off the, off the rails a little bit. Off the rails. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a meltdown that we haven't seen from John Wayne very, very often if at all, what's going to make this even worse. And we're going to, it, it, now you're just like, Oh, he's just sour grapes that he didn't get the girl, but you're going to find out in just a minute what really happened. Mm-hmm. And to what you said, why does John Ford punish John Wayne like this? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe because he knew who the star of most of his films was, even though Jimmy Stewart seems to be top billing for the chief antagonist in this movie, mm-hmm. he knew who buttered his bread. Yeah. And John Ford had the insight to not do quite so cookie cutter once he learned how to do a little bit better than stagecoach and move on. 
and he found enough tragedy in John Wayne mm-hmm. to make that really the epic John Wayne traditional Western hero that we all have come to know and love. Cause if you really want to kind of be honest about it, isn't the cowboy just by nature a little tragic to begin with? Isn't that kind of a sad, sorry, rough existence? It's definitely not Superman happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's it's it's totally the environment beats you down, the the antagonists beat you down. I mean And somebody's ultimately gonna be a faster gun and they're gonna they're gonna beat you and down. And they're gonna beat you down. Exactly. Yeah. But it Your numbers all, up eventually. <laughs> right. Right. But it's even more, I think, uh, explicated when he goes back to his place and then sets fire to this addition to the house that he's building for this woman that he doesn't have yet, but that he lost, right? And now we understand why there was paint that he used as the paint cans to shoot mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart, drench him with, because he was painting that to try to make it pretty yeah. so she would have a comfortable place in this savage land to call home. Let me ask you guys this. Is he killing himself in this scene? It looks like it. Is he willing to go up with the rest of the house here? That's what I've always thought. Okay, that's that's what I took home. Yeah, that was. It, I, I mean, that was. I mean, that was shocking, right? Yeah, I'm like, oh Jesus! You know, at first I thought, okay, he's just setting fire to to the addition, and the rest of it looked like it was made out. It looked like it was Adobe, right? It was made out of like mud bricks or something. Mm-hmm. But right uh, for the outdoor view, showed that the main house was catching fire, and like, oh Jesus, he he committing suicide. Yeah. John Wayne is committing suicide. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> if not for Woody Strode, who rescues him. <laughs> Everyone needs a Pompey in their lives, boys. To Pompey. Yeah. Because he saves Dave. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he's really good in this in this film too. So we get to our boy, Pompey. We get to our final moments here. So a couple months later, I imagine because Peabody's pretty well put together after his beating that he took in his print shop. But now we gotta determine the, the delegates of, of the statehood here and this is where we get that great John Carradine moment, and he's like, delegates and fellow officials, uh, I nominate this man here. And then they, they get a horse to come up on the stage here, and the horse is drinking the speaker's water. This this is chaos. <laughs> I mean, this was politics in 1890-something here, right? Uh, this is just completely crazy to me. But what culminates here is Peabody giving a really great speech about you know, where they stand in wanting to create statehood and the person to lead them into the next era of this is going to be Ransom Stoddard. And then Ransom Stoddard is, you can kind of see the way they're talking him up and talking about what a great person he is and how he came to us with law and order and he's the man who shot Liberty Valance. And then he bails, right? I mean, he bails and this is the guy that they're going to lead but he can't accept the praise being lauded at him. Mark, what Mark, what do you think of this circus of choosing delegates, but also what Ransom does here in this moment? Well, yeah, the, the circus, uh, I mean, politics today is still a circus. But anyway, uh, it's sort of interesting, mm-hmm. you, know, uh, you know, this is the socialization, the politicization, if I can say it that way, uh, of, uh, of the West, right? And, 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 whatever state we're talking, fictitious state we're talking about becoming a state. But Rance leaving is interesting because, you, you know, we're, we're doing in this, in, the, in this program I'm in um, out here in the East Coast, uh, you know, we're learning a lot about leadership. And, 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 and leadership is not something that, that people seek, right? Yeah. Um, uh, the best leaders are, are kind of thrust into a situation where they, 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 they just have to lead. They have to pick up 
the ball and have to take it over. And that's kind of what we're seeing here with Rance Stoddard's character, or Rance Stoddard, uh, Jimmy Stewart's character, mm-hmm. is, you know, he, he doesn't want this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but, but and, and he leaves the room um, because, you know, he feels guilty about shooting Liberty Valance. And, you know, that's not the, a per- because he's a man of the law, right? A person who's committed a crime probably shouldn't be in public office. Uh, oh yeah, that stopped him all the time. Yeah, Mark. Mm-hmm. People that commit crime shouldn't be in public office, huh? Okay, yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> I, 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 I must say, I was not say they aren't. I said they shouldn't. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Let me clarify. But, you, but, but you know, you know, and, and he, he has his his moment of you know I'm not worthy. Yeah. Until and I'm not sure you're gonna tell the rest of the story here well let's let's get to the moment then right yeah because it flies in the face of everything he stood for he's claimed a position of notoriety and the state's about to become legitimate over him breaking the law yeah but not really huh here's the twist he's gone he's gone over and that's probably not have this discussion because this will drag on but he's gone over to the dark side right sure Uh, yes he has Mm -hmm. you know he's having a hard time reconciling that tom why did you do it why cold-blooded murder but I can live with it. Tally's happy. She wanted you alive. But you saved my life! I wish I hadn't. Tally's your girl now. Go on back in there and take that nomination. You taught her how to read and write. Now give her something to read and write about. Okay, so Jimmy Stewart leaves these proceedings, doesn't accept his nomination, and he he goes to this back sequestered office. John Wayne shows up drunk, right? I I think so, still. He's been drunk for a while now. Drunk for a few months, probably, (laughs) and is like... (laughs) He's like, let me tell you what really went down. So what we discover in this moment is, off in some alleyway during the shooting of Liberty Valance... He wasn't going to let him get killed here because Jimmy Stewart probably would have been killed by Liberty Valance if the moment had been given, right? Yeah. And through uh, Pompey's uh, rifle, kills him right at simultaneously as Jimmy Stewart shoots that gun. Uh, and we know the accuracy of Ransom Stoddard at this point, right? He can't shoot that can on the on the floor there. We know Tom killed. And he's using his left hand, right? Because the right. shooting hand was shot. <laughs> That's right. We know Tom killed Liberty Valance. But quietly, in the shadows, sequestered, not taking the credit for it. And I think that's the credit, right? The title of the film, what it all leads to, the man who shot Liberty Valance is John Wayne. Right. But who people think shot Liberty Valance is Jimmy Stewart. Uh, This is a great moment here, too. And it reminded me a lot of Saving Private Ryan, where why Tom did this was... I think he did form a bit of a friendship with Ransom, even though he would probably not admit that, right? Mm -hmm. But didn't want to see him killed the way he was going to go down. But the fact that he killed him, Ransom got to create this life for himself. The line in Saving Private Ryan is why, earn this, right? Uh, We did all this for you. Now you need to go do what you can with it. It's the same thing here, Right. right? If you don't go take that nomination, what I did is in vain. 
So you need to man up and go take that nomination, create statehood, do what you can with it, and I'll peter off into the night. I love what you said. Give her something. Give her something. Go ahead, Matt. What I did was in vain, and it's not that he's championing the honor mm-hmm. of protecting the man who can't shoot straight. It's that he's pissed off that he didn't get the girl. I don't think he really gives a damn if Liberty shoots Rance, if he ends up with Hallie at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree. They have a working friendship. That's about the best I can give it. But I do think that there is some... <laughs> Camaraderie? Fam- okay, sure. Something. Sure. Yeah. And they have a, a, a foe that they can unite against. Yeah. But he goes through this process and protects Rance. And in so doing, which he knows is right, that's the difference between, between Tom and Liberty. Liberty wouldn't protect Rance, Tom does, and that's the difference between good and bad in the West. Honor. And this is why, in my opinion, the West is the chief protagonist in this film, because the West values honor. Tom gets a pretty fair shake at the end. He dies. I think he probably dies alone, but he gets Hallie telling him goodbye because the West keeps score, and the way you make your points is through honor. Yeah. And man... As rough as it is to watch Tom lose Hallie and freak out and set his little house on fire, her Shantate, mm-hmm. although it's going to be better than a Shantate, huh? Mm-hmm. He's painting it white, Jesse. Yep. <laughs> but is it better than E.T. Shantate? <laughs> it's better than, yeah. <laughs> yep. But man, does the West punish Rance at the end of this film. Well, the Because door- he took a position that's not honorable. But the door also kind of closes on John Wayne again. Like that yeah. flipping, flapping doors of the delegates and John Wayne's world. Yeah. He can't exist over there, right? There's no way. It's just so strange that he does the right thing for all of the right reasons to us. But ultimately, it's for selfish reasons, which is to keep Hallie. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to live in Shinbone with a man like Liberty Valance still controlling things. Like, that is an eternal threat. And this gets back to the savage versus the civilized. And women are not going to survive in the West until it becomes more civilized. Mm -hmm. So he does a very civil thing, protecting the helpless, literally, as the right hand of the law, because Ransom's right hand won't work, and he's on Ransom's right right side when he shoots through that alley. And in so doing, we get rid of this terrible, terrible oppressive force, liberty balance, the oppressor of liberty and freedom and freedom of speech and statehood and all those things, setting up a world where he and Hallie can be happy. Only then, you guys, this is so hard, Mm -hmm. to lose the main pursuit that he's been after the entire film, Vera Miles. Yeah. And that's a bitch. So everyone loses in this film, right? Every Except the West. Yeah. The West claims <laughs> the bodies, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the final sequences of this film are we go back to the present, wherever the present is, and he finishes his story, and now they know the truth. And we get that great line by Carlton Young there uh, when the fact and uh, – how does it go? Oh, so like when the, when the legend – The legend becomes fact, yeah. Print, print the legend, yeah. Well, it's, that's true, right? I mean, that's, yes, that's, that's true. That's like finding out, like, if Mickey Mantle corked his bat. No, like, Mickey Mantle was a great baseball player, right? right. <laughs> you don't tell him he corked his bat. Right. Uh, yeah. It's tragic for Rance. It's tragic for the truth of the people of uh, Shinbone. It's tragic for the dead Tom Donovan in his casket over there. Mm-hmm. And then we get the coup de grace, right, at the end of this, when 
the, the, non, the non-look look. The, the Yeah, the two-day trek back to Washington, which would kill me. Ladies and gentlemen, I would die on this train. Yeah. Uh, but his new fresh spittoon. Uh, but he's like, oh, we'll give everything to the man who shot Liberty Valance. And what, what was nice to me watching at this time was that... that <laughs> Very graduate-like, right? Mm-hmm. The unspoken agreeance of what's going on in each of their minds. They've had that conversation before, right? Tom killed Liberty Valance. We just never saw that scene, and we don't need to see that scene. Just through a look, we can understand what, what's what gone on through the years of the, the lies these people have been living through. It's a great ending. I mean, it's a downer, but I, I'm Jesse loves downer endings. This is this is up there for me. <laughs> What's one of the greatest twist endings in film ever? Sure, yeah, that's great. And yeah. the entire thing is not done like the dialogue that the train conductor says, "Mark, we're going to get this baby up to forty-five miles an hour or whatever oh, with enough call." Twenty-five miles an hour. Sorry, forty-five would have been acceptable. Right, we're going to get this thing up to twenty-five miles an hour. That's because nothing's too good for the man who shot Liberty Valance. That line of dialogue is the final nail in Stewart's coffin. And if it wasn't quite enough, then this, the dirt that's thrown on the top of it once it's put in the earth is what Vera Miles doesn't do. And that's look back at him the rest of the movie. She buries her hair or her head down and can't even look at the man she's next to. And you know what that man next to her did? Taught her how to read, yeah. got shinbone statehood, and mostly led a really just life with the exception of never coming clean with the public about who the man who really shot Liberty Valance was. Well, it's like, damn, that is brutal. That is the West punishing you on high. It's also like the film, uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's that same whole moniker of when you learn the truth, it's not so fantastic. Right. So does he, yeah, right. So does he eventually, or at some point in his backstory, come clean with everyone and because then Shinbone doesn't get no. statehood. He doesn't become a delegate. He doesn't become the just with her envoy to whoever that where, you know, all those political titles that they rattle off that he's had forged from a lie on a shot that he never, I wouldn't say took, but landed just with her. Damn. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Mark, what do you think of the ending? Uh, you know, it's it, it, not as shocking as, 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 as Tom sending his house on fire, but shocking, right? You know, it, you know, um, it, it, how do I want to say this? It's, it's like this, this, you know, part of my mind has been thinking too, did, did Tom make this up just to get, um, Rance to take the job, so to speak? Um, did, did, did he tell a fib, but, but assuming, assuming, assuming Tom's character really did shoot Liberty Valance, I mean, he's stuck with this for the rest of his life. And it's a moniker he doesn't want to have ultimately. Right. Cause he yeah. doesn't want to be known as a criminal. Exactly. Or a, 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 a fraud. Actually not a criminal unless you're convicted, but yeah. a, a fraud. Yeah. Or, you know, someone, someone who's a, who's, you know, uh, a man of the state, so to speak, and a man of the law who's committed arguably a crime, right. A mm-hmm. very violent crime, murder, yeah. namely murder. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah. You know, it's just, the look on his face was just like, oh my God, you know, he's, he's you know, doomed to eternity to, you know. We end on a, on a very somber note with, with this one as the train treks through the thing and this stringy orchestra is playing. It's just, it's not a happy ending. And the searchers no. isn't a happy ending either. So John Ford late in his career was just like, screw it. The West is rough and it's going to treat its <laughs> people rough. 
and I like that. Do you have any insight, Jesse, to what was going on with John Ford personally? Well, I mean, other, it just seems like he got darker, you know, from what you're saying. Other than, yeah, the bottle, which Matt alluded to earlier, which a notorious drinker, uh, just on and off, uh, they, uh, on and off set. So I can't imagine what these scenes were like behind the scenes, but I do have well, the stories of him and Ward Bond were like two bottles, two to three bottles deep a night. I don't know how you function as a human being. I Me mean, like, either. Uh, like I do that now and it's yeah. like five days of recovery. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I do have some interesting anecdotes here uh, just behind the scenes. So 3.2 million budget, 8 million gross. Mm. This movie yeah. didn't really, mm touch anything or like box office wise. So again, the under the radar fact of this film, just people not seeing it or respecting it for kind of what it really is. Right. Yeah. Ford decided to shoot it's this. Po- I mean, it was, it was in the money, right? You yeah. Know, sure. It, I guess that, some right? profit, but not what it could have been. Yeah. Ford yeah, decided to shoot him for sure. He decided to shoot him black and white. Um, he surges is in color. She wore a yellow ribbon is in color and he went back to black and white. There's two trains of thought here. Paramount was a cutting cost, so you're shooting on black and white photography. But John Ford's excuse was that in black and white, you've got to be very careful. You've got to know your job, lay your shadows improperly, get your perspective right. But in color, there it is. He said, you might say I'm old-fashioned, but black and white is real photography. I kind of agree with him. I mean, there's an art to uh, you know, shooting it for real and really knowing what you're putting out on the screen. Mm-hmm. But, but the behind you know, this... in, in doing some research, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was saying, do some research too on that, Jesse. Um, uh, one, another thought around the black and white was, you know, Jimmy Stewart and John Wayne are, are 53 and 54 years old mm-hmm. at, at this time in the movie, and they're playing characters that are arguably should have been much younger. Yeah. Um, and the black and white also allowed them to kind of. Mm. You, you know, not, not, not show all the blemishes, so to speak, and make them look a little younger. Everybody's uh, pretty to the lights. Come on, huh, Mark? Yeah. I'd age exactly. a little bit. <laughs> but some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that I was reading into this thing that, you know, John Ford, a little more cantankerous at this part of his career, the studio wanted, allegedly, John Wayne in the lead role as Tom Donovan, and John Ford was like, you're doing that without asking me? So he insistently just gave John Wayne hell on the the set of this film. And two things that he brought up was, I already alluded to one, was he he really nabbed at John Wayne for not enlisting in the military during World War II and said that line of, you got rich while Jimmy risked his life overseas. And I did too. I mean, John John Ford went and shot war photography. I think he got wounded in the Battle of Midway too. Mm -hmm. He did. and then the second one was with Woody Strode's claiming you tried to make it as a football athlete at USC and Woody was a better football player than you. Damn. Just really ribbing him yeah. hard, which, you know, maybe made the performance a little bit better. But, I mean, he didn't want to, like, say, like, him and John Wayne were indispersable, but Wayne went along with it because he knew, well, John Ford gave me my career stagecoach, right? Do we think maybe with the amount of times that John and John Mm -hmm. had worked together that maybe this was a conscious decision from Ford? And I know he's at the bottle and probably not as good natured as he might have been in a younger place. This is him trying to really get at that. Oh, 
oh, how can I say? What's the word I want here? Um, irritated side that made Tom Donovan the Tom Donovan we saw in the feature, or do you think this is he's just mad at John John Wayne because he's hungover? Maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> I'd like to give he John Ford enough credit. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. John Ford enough credit to maybe try to tap into something because as much as I love John Wayne, yeah, he is kind of the same guy in just about every film, right, Pilgrim? Yeah. But John Ford's ability to mold him into a different character, that's cool. I mean, that's the searchers, that's this. And, yeah, it sounds like it was a hard film to make behind the scenes, but the results on the screen are are pretty great. So are we in agreement then today on Rye officially that that's some character manipulation and just general animosity 50-50? Are we going with that? Well, I'm doing that and then part of the bottle, too. All three of them. Okay. Raise them up to that. Here okay. we go. Cheers. 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 <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Cheers. Cheers. Here yeah. we go. What's your favorite tasting note of The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance? So remember, this is your favorite scene or sequence in the film. Mark, go ahead first. Oh, there's so many. You want me to go um, so you can think? You want me to go so you can think? No, 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 no. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it because it's something that resonates with me. It, it, it was, for me, it was the, the leadership scene in the back room in Capital City where Tom, Tom tells the story of who actually shot Liberty Vance yeah. and, you know, um, Ramps decides, okay, you know, I'm actually not a murderer. I can accept this position of leadership in government and, 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 and move the West forward. Um, that, that to me was, was just a really poignant moment in the film and one that resonated with me. And it was so well done. Mm -hmm. Mine is the forgiveness that Hallie doesn't offer rants on the train. That look down is more of a crucifixion of that poor man's character than it is an admission of the sadness of who she spent a life with. That moment to me is one of the best, maybe the little hot takey here, but maybe the best unspoken moment Mm -hmm. in all of film history for me. Ever. Better than the graduate ending? It's close, man. Yeah, it's, they're so they're so similar, <laughs> the, but yet so equal. To me, the graduate is what's next, where this is, what the, what did we do? What have we been living with? Yeah. yeah. You, know, I'm, I'm, you know what I found, too, in that scene, Matt, mm-hmm. is I didn't feel, I felt like Tom had a thing for Hallie, but Hallie didn't have a thing for Tom earlier in the movie. And I, I got a sense that she really kind of cared for Tom at some level. For sure. Regret on high, buddy. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was deep. Yeah. I'm going to go, it's not comedic, but I'm going more personal. I'm honestly going, my favorite tasting note of this film is that kitchen sequence where they're slinging steaks and apple pie and washing <laughs> dishes just because I want every part of that. And i like, that's cozy to me. Like if I had this film playing on like a Sunday morning at like eight o'clock and I have my own cup of coffee, uh, that's just, man, that's where I want to be with movies, right? Yeah. It's just a safe space. And I love that, that Ford's able to give you a setting that I want to be there. I want to be a part of that. And that's cool. I mean, that's, I, I love, I love that in this film and then in the searcher specifically. That's awesome. Can I ask you a question before you go to your sound? Go ahead. You have a choice. Okay. You can be part of two dining sequences. I'll tell you, you can have the one you just mentioned. And okay. Like be there. Okay. Or you can have Sunday dinner at the Corleone house. What's it going to be? Oh. With Clemenza slinging pasta sauce. Yeah. Oh, a little sugar, a little red wine. My favorite scene in that movie. Uh, oh man, I might have to go have 
pasta dinner with the Corleones. But this is good. I do love a, I do love a good steak and some apple pie. Mark, you got a choice. What's it going to be? Pasta or steak? Oh, uh, definitely. You know, those steaks were way too big. I have to go with the pasta. But you know, and we probably don't have time to talk about it now. But uh, the, the Swedish couple that that ran that business. Mm. We're, we're wonderful, weren't they? Uh, we play the I, I same really two enjoyed. Swedish couple in every movie that John Ford ever did. Yeah, so good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, let's see if we have similar or different, but what's the... Oh, my God! Where we need to polish off some more Weller or Whistlepig on Mark's end. What's the oh, my God moment of this film? I'll go first on this one, man. It's Peabody getting beaten to a pulp. I like oh, that. Yeah. That was brutal. <laughs> like that was that guy's dead, and I thought he was dead, and then he came back later, and he was pretty okay. So I got to go with that one. That was I for, completely forgot about that moment. Mark, you want to go, or would you like me to go? Uh, I'll, I'll go, Matt. Um, I would have picked uh, what Jesse picked because that was just shocking. But I'll go with the. Uh, um, you know, the initial scene with the stagecoach where Jimmy Stewart gets, gets robbed by Lee Marvin and his gang. And, uh, um, just, you know, the, the senseless and, and the senseless violence. I mean, you, you know, the, the man was already broken and then he's just getting whipped. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just shocking. I thought <laughs> this, this guy, this, this guy, Liberty Valance is like evil incarnate. I, I read some reviews. Uh, where a person had said uh, somewhere online that they, they've watched this movie multiple times just to find if there's any redeeming qualities to leave my room's character, and there are none. Yeah, no, <laughs> no way. He's playing evil. He's just bad. Well, when he trips you and you dump a lot of juicy steak on the ground, that's irredeemable in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> At least if it's pasta, you can put it back and reboil it and like, get the junk off it. But in the steak, it's absorbed all the dust. But right? you know what it is for me in that scene? It's the, it's the tossing of the coins, right? Yeah, it's Just a, like, yeah. It's you, very leave your money on the bed stand next to the bed on the way out. You pick it up. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> well, mine's actually right in the space you're talking about. And it's the setting of the whip on the table mm. as hard as he does, letting everybody know who... Uh, who's alpha in that room or trying to be alpha in that room. Yeah. Who's got the biggest, you know what? Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right, gentlemen, who's the master distiller on the man who shot Liberty Valance? Mark, you go first. Oh, well, I mean, it's, I mean, it has to be John Ford, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'll go with John Ford because I I think, uh, it's just this is an incredibly well made film. Yeah. Um, uh, you know the writers deserve some credit. I'm sure you guys are going to talk about that. But um, just the the way it, I mean, I was just uh, the way it's shot. I mean, the acting. You know, because it's in black and white, and the way he uses shadow in a lot of the scenes, and you're seeing what person leaving the room or whatever in the shadows, and you know what's going on, and the violent scenes where you actually don't just see the violence, you just see him just brutally swinging that thing, and it's got like a piece of metal on it too, you know, and it's, yeah. oh, um, I just thought it was just really tactfully done. Um, and then just some of the, you know, all of the deeper issues we've been talking about, whether we're talking about, you know, the socialization of the West, the democratization and civilization of the West, uh, to some of the other metaphors for this movie, it was just really well done. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Um, you know, in a career that's been highlighted. Many. <laughs> yeah, there really is. 
in a career that's been highlighted by so many amazing films. I could easily give it to to John Ford as well. But since you did, I'll defer. And I'm going to give it to Mr. John Wayne. Um, not oftentimes does he play a supporting character in a movie. He's a big name, and he mostly carried the poster for any film he was in. Yeah. But in this, that's the case. And I think it's maybe... And a lot of people are going to argue with True Grit, but that's fine. Or Ethan Edwards. I think it's his best acting performance, arguably. That's pretty good. I might change that tomorrow, but it's a possibility that this is equal to Ethan Edwards or Rooster Cogburn. Um, he does a pretty good job later in life in The Shootist. Another team up with Ron Howard and Jimmy Stewart again, if you can believe that. And I certainly care for him a lot in the Cowboys, but this mm. one is, I think, John Wayne at the best of what John Wayne could do yeah. and in a supporting role. So I'm going to go with John Wayne, but I could easily give it to who I know Jesse's going to choose or who you just chose, Mark. Okay, Jesse, it's on you. Yeah, since we all kind of went a little bit different, I'll do it, but yeah, it's Jimmy Stewart. I mean, he further explicates why he's my favorite actor. I mean, in a role where he's so reduced to this emasculated role mm. rises to the occasion and just fully sells it. I mean, when, when he, yeah, when he's slamming that stake back on the plate, I mean, he's going for it. I mean, Jimmy Stewart was a guy who I know deep down loved acting. Like I know he got into these characters. I know he loved these moments and whether it's with Hitchcock or with Capra or with, John Ford, I mean, he's he's amazing. I mean, mm -hmm. he's the everyman, right? Yes. He he's all of us. So he's he's great in this. This is a, with Vertigo, with Rear Window and Rope. It's a Wonderful Life. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. We haven't even dabbled into Philadelphia's story yet. Mm -mm. He, he's one of our best actors of all time. I mean, this guy is phenomenal. No so argument, yeah. More evidence to that. Gentlemen, how are you going to rate and grade... Uh, the Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. So our rating system, we have Rocket, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Mark, where are you going for this one? Oh, you gave me the low-hanging low fruit again? Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, for me, uh, like the whiskey I'm drinking now, this is this is Top Shelf. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a really well-made film. And, you know, uh, as I said up front, I was ashamed. I really didn't know much about it before watching it yesterday. And um, it's a really well put together film. Uh, you know, you, you can, you can nitpick any film, right? Um, but the fact that, you know, there's a lot of nuance to the characters and there's some vulnerability in John Wayne's character. I mean, John Wayne's vulnerable. What, yeah. um, yeah. you know, uh, you know, all of this and, uh, you know, the masculine feminine, uh, you know, the, the, the civilization of the savage West, the wild West. I mean, this, this is a really well-made movie. And I can see why people online have, have said it's one of the best lessons ever. Awesome. Yeah, for me, this is no surprise. I've talked about it a ton. This is top 10 all time for me in my Hall of Fame. This is one of the candidates that's going to be on the first floor when you walk right in the door. Uh, this is top shelf with the bullet. This is Pappy Van Winkle. This is an amazing masterpiece film. That is tragically underviewed, but I'm glad that we're covering it because maybe it will open some eyes to what a strange and unique and cool Western this was. Um, you know, we've just spent 
an hour and 45 minutes essentially telling everybody how much we loved it. So I don't have anything to add to that other than personally, it is my favorite Western. We can't do that with the flight question mark, but this would be my favorite Western by a lot. Yeah. This is a masterpiece. Top 10 easy. I love it. Man had Morbius. I that might be the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man had Morbius been just a complete masterpiece. I'd be top shelf five weeks in a row, but that was not the case. Yeah, top shelf for me. Yeah, this is I think my third time watching this film, and it was so much more clear to me what the intentions were with this, what it means for the Western genre, and you know, I don't downloads of Epis podcast episodes or whatever. My kind of goal at the end of the day is to turn people on to films they haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Like, I hope we've turned people on to checking out Sorcerer. Just say and, Sorcerer. Yeah, just like Possessor yeah. and films that people didn't watch. Mank. Mank, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, skip <laughs> skip Mank with every fiber of your being. Yeah. But I hope we turn people on to The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, this kind of under-the-radar Western, that Westerns are already a hard-to-digest genre. I hope we kind of turn people to gotta check this one out this is this is a great film it's this is shocking because i don't think it's my favorite john ford western either i mean i think there's better than this but this is a great film mark you said john wayne vulnerable yeah when have you ever seen that so rare jimmy stewart amazing john ford incredible great cast i want some of that steak and apple pie but this is yeah. This was great. I I I'm glad I kind of set you up for this to pick your own western. What you wanted to cover, Matt. I'm glad you picked this one. This was a phenomenal revisit for me. You've Just, been really good to me this last six weeks. Yeah. I mean, between this and um, seven, seven. Mm-hmm. Man, are you going to give me Shawshank here sooner or later? Maybe. 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 Prison break cast. There you go. Like like that one. Yeah. Excellent, gentlemen. Let's go ahead and wrap this up with our nightcap. talk about the layout of the town but in that final shootout i mean you have the print shop attorney at law then there's a cantina and that seems to be the mexican people doing their own kind of thing Mm -hmm. separate from the saloon and then you have the saloon down there like it might be texas matt i think you might be right actually uh but kind of a cool place i might be hanging out at the cantina to be completely i'm with you yeah (laughs) to be completely honest with you (laughs) uh they look like they're having more fun. Yeah, <laughs> more music. Dancing, yeah, yeah. Some, maybe some better drinks. I don't Carne know. asada. Oh yeah, some tacos. For mm-hmm. sure. mm. uh, but Mark, why don't you, <laughs> Mark, why don't you go ahead and set us up with the nightcap? You got it. So I, I think we all agree. Uh, we all well, I don't think we all agreed that this was a top shelf movie and one not to be missed. And uh, I, I think a lot of people would would agree as well. So um, hypothetically, if this movie were to be remade today, who would you cast as uh, Rance Stoddard, Jimmy Stewart's character, and Tom Donifer, um, uh, John Wayne, John Wayne's character? Do you want to go first, Mark? Sure. Um, 
Let me start with uh, John Wayne's character because uh, I may pick somebody. I, I'm not sure if you guessed it or not already, but uh, I'm going to go with my, my hometown friend and hero, Timothy Oliphant. Uh, you know, I, th- I thought he killed it in Deadwood and he, Justified. he wore a cowboy hat, justified at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and then a Cobb, was a Cobb Vance on The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the Western set in space on what it was a Tatooine or whatever, whatever planet they were on. I mean, there was ways that John Wayne would stand that I've seen Timothy stand in those characters. And yeah. I thought, wow, he would be a great kind of quintessential, you know, badass good guy in the West. Here's, here's a cool thing that with Timothy Oliphant that's kind of brewing right now is there, there's a revival of that show. He was on justified in the works right now. And what they're going to lean lean into a little bit is uh, another Elmore Leonard novel called City Primeval. And Quentin Tarantino is actually going to direct those episodes of that show. Cool. So you're bringing in the the Elmore Leonard aficionado Tarantino Mm -hmm. with the established Justified show. Timothy Oliphant's about to have like kind of like a a thing here coming up. Awesome. Yeah. I think think so. Yeah. That's great to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, Good for Tim. Um, his, His mom was down the block from my mom. Um, so we, we grew up together and he's, uh, I, I just think, you know, I, I'm glad to see him get to start to get some more recognition that he deserves. I think he'd make a great, um, Tom Donaker. Yeah. Who you got for ransom? That was harder. Um, cause I think I, I so I first, my first thought, um, uh, was to go with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, because he's got sort of that rounder face and those gentle, gentler features. I think he can play that sort of more effeminate role. Sure. Uh, so I really like that. And, and and but the other person that came to mind immediately too, um, who may be a bit too old for for the role, but I mean, if he can play Winston Churchill, I think he can play anything. One of my favorite actors, and probably my favorite actor, is, is Gary Old. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I I just that guy can do anything. He's a chameleon. Yeah. Um, El chameleon. Yeah, I think. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I mean, he just really gets, and, and I think he would do a great job with this role. Um, I, I, just, I just think the world of him. Gary Oldman and Timothy Oliphant. I, I like it. I like that, too. That's a nice pairing. All right, Matt, what do you got? Can't, can't wait to hear what you guys think. <laughs> Ransom Stoddard's Daniel Day-Lewis for me. I can see him easily and capably embracing the effeminate. The Tom Donovan role was also a little bit more difficult for me, I think, than uh, this one was. And I've gone back and forth, but I'm ultimately settling on that role being played by Mr. Joaquin Phoenix. And I'm going to give you guys one more. Okay. I've got a villain that's a little bit off the beaten path. And as the Liberty Valance character, I'm going to go with a trimmed down... Vince Vaughn. Mm. People are probably like Vince Vaughn, the comedic actor. Yes. Until you've seen clay pigeons. And then after you've seen that movie, you'll know exactly why he would be a fantastic Liberty Valance. So Joaquin Phoenix, Daniel day Lewis and Vince Vaughn. That would be a really fun set to be on. That's pretty good. Yeah. How about it? All right, ladies and gentlemen, your, your two suggestions are pretty good, but I'm I'm positive that I slayed this casting. Okay. 
<laughs> As Ransom Stoddard, again, I went kind of for the effeminate a little bit. Uh, you, Mark, you said so eloquently, beautiful features. I'm going to go Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Ransom Stoddard. And then I need a little bit more rugged, haggard individual for my Tom Donovan. I'm going to go Daniel Craig for that one. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Ooh. Bond does Western. Yeah. I like it. I mean, he it, Craig did that stupid Cowboys and Aliens movie, but that, oh. that guy could exist in a Western. I mean, he could do it well, too. So I need someone that's like got the John Wayne look. But like someone that's gonna go toe to toe with him, and man, J- Jago, it was that guy's awesome. Like we, we we can't talk no bad about that guy. So let's finish off your amazing cast. Give me a Liberty Valance, mm. just off the cuff, and then Mark will give you the same one, just off the cuff. I might just because this guy's on the top of my head. Because you know what movie I rewatched this week? Mm. Which I don't know. Maybe in a weird '90s action cast we could conjure up. I watched Ricochet. Oh yeah. Man, give me Denzel Washington as Ransom or as Liberty Valance. Oh, I see that totally. Good choice. Ricochet. R- dude, Ricochet is John Lithgow. Insanity. Yes. yes. John yep. Lithgow, Kevin Pollock. Yep. All right, Mark, give me a Liberty Valance. It's interesting you pick Walking Phoenix for Jimmy Stewart's character because I think he could play both, right? Or either. Sure. But I, I'd love to see Willem Dafoe play that oh. role. Uh, God, he could, when he plays evil. It's good. It's believable. Mark, let me tell you this. Willem Dafoe's the number one actor I want to have a drink with. Like, mm. just to just <laughs> sit with him. Because I bet he's a nice guy, but he could tell you some stories, right? Just about oh, just, I'm like, sure. acting and just how weird he is. Like, I could get in that space with Willem Dafoe. That'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for joining us today for The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance from 1962. Um uh, Glad you could join us again. I mean, we had we hadn't had you on the show in, in a while, and we'll have you back again really, really shortly. But yeah, this was a cask a long time in the making. So thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's been a real pleasure. Um, uh, thank you for including me. I really, I mean, just talking with you guys, I learn more about the films themselves, and I think more deeply about them, and I really appreciate that. And I got to run now. I got to go catch up with my ALI program fellows. Uh, here at the ski area and try to get all of our ALI program fellows to listen to this podcast and subscribe to your guys's work. Cause I think it's just wonderful how, how well you analyze film. So oh. thank you. It's really an honor to be involved. Well, thank th- you, Mark. Yeah. So good to have you on this. We can talk to you again, brother. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Rate review, subscribe. That's the mantra of just any podcast, but that's how people find out about it. And to keep the train churning, the next station on our Western four ways <laughs> So if we tackled the traditional Western that John Ford so was so effortlessly able to just come across on the screen, now we're going to take it across the seas. And in Japan, around the same time, they were kind of giving their own interpretation of the Western in the form of a samurai film set in feudal Japan. The man we're going to talk about is Akira Kurosawa. So what film of his are we going to talk about? But I think there's an interesting one we can talk about. It involves the plot of Macbeth. Mm-hmm. And the film is called Throne of Blood. And we're going to get to talk about Kurosawa, Toshiro Mufuni. But just what does the rest Western look like to Japan and how they did that through the samurai film? This is going to be fun for us. So I got the clips we're going to play. I don't know. People won't understand them, <laughs> but we're going to have to figure that out. But 
I can't wait to talk about this with you. Uh, Kurosawa, I mean, one of the premier filmmakers in filmmaking history. Okay, admission. I've never seen this film, so maybe we have a Rye Watch with you next week. Ah, there we go. I haven't seen it, so I've seen a lot of Kurosawa, but I have not seen this one. Excellent. Awesome. Mark? I, I, don't, I, don't, know it, I don't know it either, but I can't wait to tell my buddy Henry as we're done that we're going to that you guys are doing a Kurosawa film next week he's going to freak out absolutely he's going to be your biggest fan beautiful (laughs) absolutely well to you so cheers to you cheers to you Uh, here we go cheers I got to get going cheers to you all so much steak in this film I'm going to go throw some steak up on the grill I'll make some apple pie I'm going to make a day of it but I just I, I need to eat that now that I saw so much of it can you just call me and you're done? I got to finish putting another coat of white paint on the uh, Chantate I built for you out back. I hope e- I hope ET approves of your paint job. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. The man who shot Liberty Valance is property of Paramount Pictures and John Ford Productions, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Oh, thank you, Jason. Thank you, and I'm going to write a letter to the officials of this railroad and thank them for their kindness and for going to all this trouble. You think nothing of it. Nothing's too good for the man who shot Liberty Valance. <laughs>